on the Holy Spirit. I want to welcome those of you joining us on Crossroads Live, uh, as well as Facebook, YouTube, Fort Lupton, and of course here at our Thornton location. If you are new with us, man, I just want to say uh, thanks for trusting us with this hour. I'm grateful uh, that you've decided to spend this hour with us worshiping together as we bring our praise uh, to Jesus. And my prayer is, my earnest prayer, is that while this may be your first time, that it certainly would not be uh, your last. Like I said, we are in this series. Uh, we're in week two of a three-week series where we are looking uh, really at the Holy Spirit in the series that we are calling Ghost. And so if you were here last week or if you weren't here last week, let me just kind of catch you up real quick to where we're at. Uh, last week when we gathered together, one of the things that we discovered is that every single one of us kind of uh, comes to or understands the Holy uh, Spirit. We come from different places or different understandings when it comes uh, to the Holy Spirit. That some of you maybe grew up like me, where you didn't think much about the Holy Spirit. Maybe the church that you attended uh, didn't speak a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. And for most of your life, the Holy Spirit's kind of just like hung out in the corner over there, you know, like minding its own business. For some of you, though, that maybe you came out of like the more extreme sides of the faith, when you got kind of tired of that extreme side of the faith that said that if you didn't like do supernatural works, that if you didn't have these supernatural giftings, like being able to speak in tongues or even healing, then the, maybe that you weren't actually saved. For others of you, you've been a Christian for a very long time, and, and you, it's not that you, you know, don't like see the Spirit, don't long for the Spirit. It's not that even you, you just kind of regulate the Spirit to the corner. It's not that you've come out of the extremism of the faith. It's that you just don't understand. Like when we talk about the things of the Holy Spirit, it's just, it's like you just don't have any understanding of what it's like. And for some of you, you're brand new to all of this, and you're like, man, ghost, Holy Spirit. Like I don't have a clue about any of it, but it sounds like Stranger Things, and I'm a fan of that. So like, let's get to it, right? So... So the reality is, the reality is, is that when we all come together, we come from different places and different understandings when it comes to the Holy Spirit. But regardless of, of where you're coming from, regardless of, of your understanding of the, of the Holy Spirit, that when we open the scriptures, what we find is that the Holy Spirit is not an it, but it is a he. And that he is a part of the Godhead, what we call the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that he is absolutely essential to living the life that God would have us to live. And so as we gathered last week, we looked at some of Jesus's words, as crazy as they are, even some 2,000 years later, when Jesus looked at some of his best buds and said to them that it's to your advantage that I go so that someone better can come. That I have to leave so that, so that something better, so someone better can come. And Jesus calls this someone better the helper. We know him as the Holy Spirit. And we looked last week of, of what that meant and, and ultimately that what that means is that when Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, that this is the fulfillment of one of the greatest promises given to us in all of Scripture, that God will never leave us or forsake us, that God is always with us because the Spirit is dwelling in us. And so we spent time last week looking at who the Spirit is and, and what this dwelling is all about and that ultimately this dwelling of the Spirit begins when we trust Jesus as our Savior, that when we trust Jesus as our Savior, the Spirit indwells our lives. Now, all of that was last week. This week, we're going to talk about the tension that we face as those who have maybe trusted Jesus. That if you've trusted Jesus and you've walked with Jesus maybe for a season of your life, there's a tension in us, isn't there? And even if you're not a believer here today, you've probably observed this tension in the church or in, in people who you know of our faith in their lives. And the tension is a little bit like this. That the tension is, is that it doesn't take us too long, does it? 
It doesn't take us too long to read through the New Testament to see that the New Testament is filled with these amazing, amazing stories of people whose lives have been dramatically changed when they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the promise that this one would be coming, the promise that Jesus made that this better one would be coming happens just seven weeks after his death and resurrection. Seven weeks after his death and his resurrection, the disciples, about 50 of them now, are hanging out in this house. They're praying and they're waiting for what's next. All of this is recorded in the beginning of Acts for us. And they're waiting in this house and all of a sudden this house is filled, it's filled with the sound of a raging wind and it's like Tongues of fire are falling upon the people. And in this house, they pour out into the city streets and they start sharing and talking about Jesus with everybody they come in contact with. Some of them, they're speaking in different languages. And on that day, 3,000 people, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. It's amazing. It's miraculous. It's, it's supernatural. We read through the rest of the book of Acts and into the rest of the New Testament. And we see that people who are, who are cowards cowards all of a sudden are bold and courageous. We see miracles happening everywhere. We, we watch the early church act in love. I mean, real sacrificial love that is changing the world. Lives are being changed. And we're told as we read the New Testament that that power that we see in the early church that went cowards to boldness, that showed people who, who cared nothing for love become loving, to see lives that are being changed, that that power that's, that's resident in the early church, in those early believers, is the same power that's given to you and me today. That it wasn't just for that time and for that season that God, in fact, wants to create the same kind of change in your life and in mine. And if you're anything like me, that's where the tension begins, doesn't it? That you go, God, like when I look at my life, it, it feels like something's missing. It doesn't, it doesn't seem the same. My life doesn't look like that. The church doesn't look like that. The Western church doesn't look like that. It doesn't have the same fervor, the same passion, the same boldness, the same love that we read about in the scriptures. God, like, like where's that in our lives? Where is that? I mean, if Jesus' words are true and we don't have any reason to believe that they're not, when we trust him as our savior, then the spirit's in us just like it's in those we read about in the early church. But it doesn't feel the same, does not it? It's like, what's the deal? Like, like, what's wrong? What's missing? Where's that in us? Well, that's the question that we're going to answer today. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go ahead and open them up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians is a, is a a uh, letter written by the Apostle Paul, one of those life-changed, spirit-driven individuals. And he's writing to this church in Thessalonica, and he answers the very question that we ask when it comes to the Spirit and the Spirit's presence or movement in our life. And he uses a unique phrase, a phrase that's very well known, a phrase that people ask pastors about all the time. Like, what does this phrase really mean? And the phrase is quenching the Spirit, to quench the Spirit. And I just think that if we understand what it means to quench the spirit, then ultimately we'll understand why we lack the presence, why we lack the power, why we lack or why we have the longing for more of the spirit in our lives than we have right now. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, starting in verse 16. Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, let's just pause there for a second. If you've ever wondered, how many of you, just raise your hands. If you're online, just hit the heart. How many ever have wondered what God's will is for your life? Anybody ever? Yeah, almost everybody, right? Here it is. Paul says, you want to know what God's will is for your life? Just start here. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That's God's will for your life. If you've ever wondered, Paul says, here it is for you. Start in this space. Now, as we talk specifically about one of these aspects, the quenching of the spirit, I want to make sure that something is abundantly clear today as we jump into that. And this is the, and it's this, that when it comes to quenching the Holy Spirit of God, what that does not mean is that we are sovereign and that God is not. It does not mean that. It does not mean that I have final say or final decision in the unlimited power of God in, in, in and through his spirit. It does not mean that. What it means is that God often allows, even permits us, for holy reasons, to resist his Holy Spirit in our lives, to hold the Holy Spirit at arm's length. That God has, has permitted that, allows us to do that in our lives. And the Apostle Paul tips his hand, and he says that the way that this happens, that we quench the Spirit when we despise the supernatural work of the Spirit in our lives and treat that work with contempt, that that's the way that we can hold the Spirit at arm's length. That's the way that we can quench the Spirit is by, is by despising the supernatural work of the Spirit in our lives. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Now, when we look back on church history, particularly what we know about the church in Thessalonica, apparently there's some people in the church who were despising the gift of prophecy. Now, in our day, prophecy is a little bit like confusing. We, we, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that oftentimes when we think of, of prophecy, we think of like apocalyptic literature, right? Like end of time stuff. But when it comes to the gift of prophecy, even in the Old Testament, the prophecy was largely a message to gathered believers based on a personal revelation from the Holy Spirit that was given for edification, for the building up, for guidance of believers. That's what prophecy was. And Paul actually goes so far in 1 Corinthians to tell us that we are to seek, that us believers, that if you're a believer here today, that you are to seek the gift of prophecy, that you are to seek the supernatural in your life, that you are to long for it, that you are to run after it. And the way that he says it in 1 Corinthians, it's not like it's optional. Like this is instruction. It's not a suggestion. It's an imperative. And whenever God gives us a straightforward command, the response, the expected response is what? is that believers are to trust and to obey. That when God gives a command, that we are simply to trust and to obey. So listen, come on. I wonder how many of us believers in our lives have prayed out to God and go, God, like, like I want the supernatural in my life. Like, I long for more of your presence in my life. Like, God, if you would just give it to me. Like, like I long for more of your presence. Like, how many times have we prayed and said that we are open to God's moving but have been disobedient to this one command to earnestly seek and long 
for the supernatural, specifically when it comes to prophecy. And the question becomes, like, like why would we do that? Why would we do that? Why would we, why would we neglect? Why would we push away the supernatural in that way? Why did the Corinthian church struggle with this? Why did the first Thessalonians despise, despise, at very least neglect the supernatural gift of the spirits? Well, the reason why is because people abused it. They were specifically using or abusing the gift of prophecy. And if you've been around the church any number of years, probably even if you've been just a short time at the church, there's probably been or you've heard stories of how people have abused or misused the supernatural, where people have, have used it and caused tremendous amount of pain in others' life. And so for us, when we see that happen, we go, this is not going to happen. Like, I'm just not going to allow that in my life. Like, I'm going to hold this at a distance. Like, that's not going to, to cause me pain. And when we see the supernatural start to happen in churches that we despise or we hold it in contempt, we start to poke fun at it. We start to make fun of it. And so often that's the case for us. But Paul's response is totally different here. He says, yes, the supernatural gifts can be misused. It can be caused for pain. It has happened. It will happen. So he says, here's the answer. His response looks totally different than our response. His response is verse 21, test everything. Hold on to what is good, throw away that is bad. And in doing so, don't despise God's supernatural gifts because when we do, according to the apostle Paul, we are quenching the spirit in our lives, zapping any significant, any significant spirit-driven life that we have. And while that may be the primary way that we quench the spirit, it is not the only way that we quench the spirit. See, we can also quench the Spirit by neglecting the gifts that we have been given in the Spirit. That when it comes to the Spirit of God, that we're told that when we become believers, that we're given certain spiritual gifts, whether that be teaching or prophecy or administration or leading or caring or prayer or the miraculous like speaking in tongues or healing. These gifts that were given by the Spirit to us. Now, when it comes to Paul's life, he had several young guys that he kind of poured their lives into. If you're Star Wars fans, think of them like young Padawans, right? Like, like these guys were, were mentorees of Paul's. There were a couple of young pastors, and one of these young pastors, his name is Timothy. And Timothy is this young pastor, and fortunately for us, we have some of the letters that Paul sent Timothy. And in these letters, here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy. There's that word again when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. In the second letter, he says something similar, only he says it in, a, in an opposite way. He says this, I remind you to fan the flames, to fan your passions like wildfire, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now, when Paul is coming together, what he's talking about here is the spiritual gifts that we've been given in the spirit. And he says, neglecting those gifts that God has given to you, is basically the opposite of fanning flames. In other words, Tim, don't quench the spirit by not using your gifts. That these gifts were given to you and your responsibility with the gifts that have been given to you is to, is to fan the flames, to create a wildfire in your life where you can use these gifts. See, you've been given gifts from God 
and you are quenching the spirit, Paul says, if you are not using these gifts. And not only the implication of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, not only the implication is, is that, Timothy, not only are you quenching the gifts in your life, but by extension, you're, you're quenching the spirit by not using the gifts in other people's lives. Listen, we must never lose sight of why the spiritual gifts were given in the first place. That they were given to build up the body of Christ. That the building up of the whole church through the spirit-empowered ministry of the whole church. That you were given gifts so that you could be spirit-led building up the whole body of the church. There's not like this elect few. There isn't varsity in the professionals and then like junior varsity in everybody else. And the more, the more, listen, the more we allow our minds to go down those lines, we distort, distort the good gifts that God has given. And we don't become participants in the body of Christ, but rather we sit back as spectators. We must never lose sight of the purpose of God giving his gifts to the Spirit, of the Spirit in the first place. The building up of the whole church for the whole church. See, no individual receives all of the gifts. That every person gives a few of the gifts. And those few gifts are to be used to build up everybody else in the body. And listen to me closely. You are not disqualified from Christian ministry. You are not disqualified from ministry. If you can't preach like Pastor Chris, or sing like, like Mandy or Amanda, or lead like one of our great leaders here in the church, that you are not disqualified from Christian ministry, that you have been uniquely wired by God for the purposes of God in this place now, which means that we need you to be you. And if you refuse to be you, then that means that we can't be we. We can't be us. If you're not you, then we can't be us. We're missing something. And not only are you quenching the spirit in your own life, but you are quenching the spirit in our lives collectively. And in the Western church, we get are so wrapped around when it comes to our faith, around kind of this individual expression of who we are, as if the only thing that matters is me and my relationship with God. And yet when we look at the roots of Christianity, we realize that they are incredibly communal. It's why the Bible uses words like family and gathering and assembly and congregation and body that we are in this together. And this is so huge for us because if we long individually and even as a church, if we long for the supernatural in our life, if we long for more of the spirit in, that, of our, of the spirit in our lives, then that means that we have to collectively step up and use our gifts for the betterment of the body that that's the way it works, that if we want to see a breakthrough of the Spirit in our church, then we have to get in the game. God gives us the gifts to get into the game, to bring about the betterment for the whole body. That's the second way. The third way that we quench the Spirit is by shutting down our emotions when joyful spiritual expressions are called for. That in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul again He's writing to a different church this time, the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about the Spirit, and he says this, Do not get drunk with wine. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's the evil things that we're to, we're to abstain from. But instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit is the opposite of quenching the Spirit. 
that you're either quenching the spirit or you're being filled with the spirit. That's the way the Bible speaks. And he says, this is what spirit-filled people look like. They are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with their hearts. See, here's what Paul's getting at, is that the vibrant fullness of the spirit overflows in appropriate expressions like singing and making melody to one another. And if you are here, Paul says, and you don't like those kinds of expressions, if you fold your arms, you go, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to do it. Then Paul says that you're quenching the spirit in your life. See, the reason that we come together on, on the weekends and the reason that we do songs and the reason that we sing is because it's a direct expression of the joy that God has given to us. In fact, it's what Paul says spirit-filled people look like. They're the ones who sing with joy. And if we cross our arms and refuse to sing, Paul says you're not filled with the spirit. You're doing the opposite. You're quenching the spirit in your life. See, when it comes to joy, joy is essential to the Christian life. It's essential. The scriptures are clear that God's people are not only commanded to rejoice, but they are actually characterized by rejoicing. That God our Father is not indifferent to our happiness. He's not. In fact, he cares a great deal about their happiness. And it's not that there's only joy in this world, but even in our most painful losses and seasons of suffering, we discover how deep Christian joy truly runs. See, the reason that the Bible is so relentless when it comes to insisting on our joy is because of the goodness of God. That joy is the fitting response to God's goodness in our lives. That one of my favorite people here at Crossroads is Dylan Fodge. He's on staff here on our maintenance and our facility team. And he works tirelessly to make sure that this building is beautiful and neat, not only for you, but because he believes that Jesus is king and he wants this to be a beautiful place for Jesus. And when Dylan's in the building, you never have to wonder where Dylan's at. Never once have I wondered, I wonder where Dylan's at today. Is he in the building? No, you don't have to wonder because Dylan, when he's in the building, is always whistling. He whistles songs of praise wherever he goes in the building. It, it kind of reverberates through the entire building. In fact, I'm convinced that he's one of the seven dwarfs, right? Whistle while you work. <laughs> like that's Dylan, like all day long. Like he's just, he's just whistling songs of praise because the spirit is alive in him. And it just overflows in everything that he does. Even when he's cleaning toilets, he's whistling while he works. Praises to God. Joy just leaks from him. And when we, Paul says, press down the joy in our lives, we are quenching the work of the Spirit in our lives. And we will never know what it means to live a Spirit-filled life because we're too busy pushing the Spirit down. Finally, the fourth thing, very quickly, when it comes to quenching the Spirit, means resisting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible and, and fruit of the Spirit is kind of a weird term for you, just know that it's a term that's used throughout the New Testament. And basically what it means is to treat or to have gracious behaviors that come from a life of the Spirit. That's all it is. It's just gracious behaviors that come from a life in the Spirit. And we see the fruits of the Spirit specifically listed for us in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we're told that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. But in Ephesians chapter 4, 
as the Apostle Paul's writing, he's speaking about the things of the Spirit, and he's, thinking, and he's speaking about the fruits of the Spirit, and he uses an interesting phrase. He uses a phrase that's just as familiar as grieving the Spirit, only this time he says, uh, I'm sorry, of, of quenching the Spirit. This time he uses the phrase grieving the Spirit. Now, when it comes to grieving and quenching the Spirit, they're almost the same. They're, they're a lot alike. And the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, he writes these words starting in verse 29. He says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So catch this here. Paul's saying that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, he's warning us away from grieving the Holy Spirit. And in front of the command to not grieve the Spirit, and behind the command not to grieve the Spirit, we have this exhortation to be kind and gracious to the people in our lives. In other words, what Paul is saying is that a way not to grieve the Spirit, a way of not quenching the Spirit, is to be gracious, to live out the fruits of the Spirit in your life when it comes to other people. Like your mission, my mission, is that when we come together, whether that be on Sunday or in our community groups or whether we're grabbing lunch or dinner or meeting for coffee at Dutch Bros, whatever it may be, that my mission when we come together is how might I speak life into you this day? How might, I, how might I call out your giftings? How might I tell you how much I enjoy you? How might I tell you in such a way that when you leave, that you are blessed because we were together? That's my mission. And you cannot be passive in this, that you are active, you're called, and we're better when you own that. I mean, come on, how refreshing and life-changing would it be if we believers actually lived out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Like if every day, I just decided that when I wake up and interact with my wife, that I'm going to deal with her with kindness, that I'm going to be kind to her. And when it comes to my kids, that I'm going to, to give them time and I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going to build them up. And at Christmas, at Christmas, when crazy Uncle Tom, right, is like in the room, like I'm going to bring peace in that situation. And when I walk into the church building for worship, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to the first person I see the most loving thing that I can see to them. And when I go to lunch this afternoon, I'm going to bring gentleness with me. And when I'm out with the boys at the brew pub, I'm going to practice self-control. I mean, how different would our lives live, would our lives look, if we realized that every single one of us are on mission, that we're not a spectator, but we're in the fight, that you're in the middle of the arena. And when we pretend otherwise... Paul says you're quenching the spirit. You'll never experience the life that you long for. The spirit will always be tucked away into the corner of your life. And so wherever you may be today, whether that be online, Fort Lupton, here, my hunch is that there's a lot of you right now who recognize that you need more of the spirit of God in your life. And that for far too long, you've, you've been trying to do life with as little of God as possible. And in doing so intentionally or maybe unintentionally, you've quenched the Spirit. You've grieved the Spirit. The Spirit has not been filled 
in your life. And in our time today, I've given you just four ways, four ways that you've quenched the Spirit. And maybe as you listen or think back on those four ways, that there's some repenting that you need to do. Now that word repent is just an old military term term that means about face. It means I'm walking in this direction and I stop and I turn and I walk in this direction. That's all that repenting means. And so as you look back on those four things, maybe you've despised the supernatural work in your life. And in doing so, you've actually despised God. Or maybe for you, you've been given gifts of God, but you've never pursued those, you've never used those to the benefit of the body. Maybe for you today, that you've just gotten into the space where you just shut down your emotions, where you refuse to show joy, where you refuse to sing. Or maybe for you, you're resisting the fruits in your life. That instead of gentleness, there's harshness. Instead of self-control, there's running wilds. And maybe today God is simply calling you to repent of those things. That maybe even while I didn't say it, that maybe there's some sin in your life <laughs> that while I didn't say it, the Holy Spirit did. And you're convicted and, and you want to change, but you realize today that you're not good enough and you don't have the strength to do it on your own. And the Holy Spirit is here today and he wants to guide you out of that. He wants to make a difference in your life. And for far too long, I would guess that many of us, for many of us, that we've resisted the Holy Spirit so long that if the Holy Spirit started speaking to us, we wouldn't even know his name. We wouldn't even know his voice. And so today, maybe your prayer is, Holy Spirit, forgive me. Fill me. I want to know your voice again. Maybe that's your prayer. For others of you, maybe you stepped in here today or, or watching online for the first time and you realize that you have a longing for something more than what this world has to offer and that there's something in you that's drawing you to Jesus, the perfect son of God who went to the cross, died for your sins, three days later rose again so that you might have life. And that your response today, your prayer today is to go, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you everything. Allow your spirit to fill me. Would you pray with me, Father? Lord, we step into this quiet space. Lord, knowing that you are calling us to you. And Lord, rather, whether we've been believers for, Lord, a long time, maybe a short time, or maybe not at all, Father, I have a hunch that you're whispering to us today. Lord, you're whispering to those who, who've known you for a season, but who have struggled, Lord, to hear your voice, who've maybe resisted you. And today, Lord, today they just need to repent. Today they just need to, to step into a space of grace, to fall at their knees before you, and to say, sorry, forgive me for holding you at arm's length for so long. For others, God, they've maybe never known your voice. They've never heard 
your spirit until today and something in them is calling out, something in them is, is moving them towards you. Lord, that's your Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Lord, in their choice is to respond and say yes to you today, to trust in you for life, or to continue to resist and reject. Lord, my prayer is that they would, they would receive you on this day. God, regardless of where we're at or who we are, whether where we're listening from, whether that be at home or in a church or on a drive somewhere, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, we long for you in our lives. We long for our lives to be more than what we have going on right now. God, we wanna be used. We wanna, we wanna be the people that we see in the scriptures, God, who are making a difference, whose lives are changing, who walk with boldness and love that ultimately changed your world. God, I pray this in your son's powerful name, the powerful name of Jesus, amen.